Greetings and salutations. Hi. I'm Josh Belcher. Get the super sauce. I'll change into my super suit. <laughs> this is Uncharted. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, shapes, sorts, and sizes. This is Josh Belcher, host of the Josh Belcher Uncharted podcast. We have a lot of awesome guests this week. We have Dr. Kevin Dyson, number 87, formerly of the Tennessee Titans. We've got Butch Vig and Lily Winwood. Got a lot of stuff to talk about and a lot of stuff to cover, so I won't spend too much time yakking it up here on the intro. Let's get it going. On this episode of the podcast, we're proud to announce that we have big number 87, Dr. Kevin Dyson, former wide receiver extraordinaire for my beloved Tennessee Titans. Brandon Skelton and I discuss with him everything from the Music City Miracle to how he is now a principal of a middle school right here in Middle Tennessee. That's on the Uncharted Podcast next. All right, proud to have Dr. Kevin Dyson, number 87, the GOAT, wide receiver extraordinaire for my beloved Tennessee Titans on the podcast. Thank you for taking the time, sir. It is truly an honor. Man, absolutely, man. Looking forward to it. Yeah, okay. We wanted to, I wanted to, I'm going to slide over here to Brandon. Uh, he's my pal. He is an educator like yourself, and he has some top-notch questions, so I'm going to let him have it. <laughs> All right. Well, my, my first question being, uh, my last teaching time, and I, I've actually been out for two years, was middle school. So, man, how, how do you survive every day? That's what people want to know. <laughs> every middle school students. I always said the hardest question you can ask a seventh grader is, why'd you do that? Because they, they never know. But <laughs> No, I, I, I did want to say, I think it's awesome uh, what you do. Uh, just kind of curious, making that transition. Like, when did you know post-NFL career that going into education, going in administration was the, the calling in the path for yourself? Um, I'm not, you know, I was, when you re, when you retire from football, you know, there's, you, you, you have all things in your mind. You feel like you have a, an idea for the path you're going. You, you like to believe you have it mapped out, but you, you grow, you get older and your interests change. And uh, when I first retired, uh, you know, I knew I wanted to be around the game. I wanted to help that. I wanted to give back what had been given to me so for, for so long. And um, uh, I, I didn't know what capacity did I want to coach professionally? Did I want to sit sit in high school or what? But I just knew I wanted to be around the game. Well, I saw some opportunities um, to to coach professionally. It didn't work out. I learned very very quickly. Uh, how business oriented that is, and how political the coaching arena can be, and so you know it didn't work out. So I settled in on secondary education, man, and I became a head football coach, um, and I enjoyed that. However, um, I I got to a point where I was losing somewhat of the love, if you will, the game that had given me some uh, dealing with some of the headaches that come with stuff outside of football. Right. And so this somebody caught me at the right time um, as far as asked me to move into administration. Dr. Clark Harrell, the Creek, came in at the right time. And had he asked me a week later, I'd probably still be coaching. Um, and he caught me. I was somewhat of a hangover after a long season. And um, it worked out. You know, I, I talked to somebody that I trusted um, who kind of had a similar path to me. He's an older, retired educator. Played college ball at Clarksville and up in Clarksville, Austin P. Played professional for a few years and at the Eagles organization, and then he um, uh, was a coach in Franklin County, head coach and principal. So he kind of we talked through some things, and he said, "Man, listen, I understand because I had a good team coming back with Vic Warden, Rashawn Galvin. I had a good team coming back, um, and he said, listen, opportunities come and go, but will this one still be there?'" Right. I mean, you said kids, kids come and go, but with this opportunity, and so I, I thought about it, man, and I took a week to think about it right before Thanksgiving break, and I made the transition. So, you know, it's 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 interesting. I never thought about uh, going into administration. Uh, I did. I knew I'd be around kids in some kind of capacity. Uh, just how that looked, I didn't know, um, mm-hmm. and I'm enjoying it. And as you said, man, middle school is it's just a different animal, man. 
It really is. <laughs> it just, you know, it is what the teachers included. You know, it just, it's just, it's the middle child, man. You know, sometimes you, sometimes you're, you're forgotten in a lot of respects. You know. Mm. That's what I, I know. This from I said I taught for twelve years, coached high school ball, coached middle school ball, uh, and now actually, you know, coaching stuff. You know, when you when you're involved in it, if you ever break away, you always look for that opportunity back. And uh, yeah. the past season, I had the opportunity to join up with the middle school team to be a FCA cheers coach with them, and definitely love getting a chance to be out there with those guys. Middle school is such a pivotal years. It's an important season of life, and definitely some strong influence. Good examples out there leading the way. We thank you for what you do, sir. Thank you, and I appreciate it, man. I'm, I mean, I'm just one of many, man. There's a lot of people that uh, been doing this for longer, just getting into it, and uh, man, they they are true true heroes in this. And I I say when I got into this thing early that you know, and just like anybody else, teachers are definitely underpaid for what mm-hmm. their job requires. Any other government job or things like that, considering what educators do we are literally educating the next the next president the next doctor the next lawyer the next whatever we are literally in the midst of that right now in secondary education and yet they're not paid accordingly you know and for the time commitment the the hours invested in it and and for what they do it's truly uh um, underappreciated profession um, it's the most one of the most controversial. Whether you talk about presidential debates, whether you talk about just in your soup cool or soup cool your water cool conversation, it's a it's a it's a highly debatable job uh, because parents parents respect the world but don't want to give you the resources to do it. And, you know, and so it's, you know, and, and it's it's funny. It's funny, funny business, brother. Yes, sir. Well, hey, uh, now. Kind of looking at one of the things that you're involved with at, at the student ministry, and would love for you to kind of share a little more about uh, students taking a right stand. I, I saw that you, you're on a board with that, correct? I am. I am. I'm actually on two boards. I'm on the board for uh, Bachelor of Motion and Stars. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, what all is that involved? What, what all does Stars entail then? Well, it, it's uh, and as y'all know, you know, we're dealing with a lot of folks emotional. So, what what Stars does is in uh, some school districts out uh, middle Tennessee area, um, we we are putting in what we call you can call counseling services, just another provided um, service for students needing aid, whether it be social emotional conflict resolution, um, uh, just suicide prevention, uh, just the typical social emotional issues that uh, you're dealing with when it comes to adolescence. And um, our kids have been, I mean, our counselors have been great. Um, a lot of these are going to school specifically to deal with these kind of um, uh, conflicts and social emotional issues that we see just seem to be growing um, right now. Um, and, uh, man, it's, it's just a great program. I've been affiliated with them for pretty much since I retired uh, from the National Football League for a very long time. Uh, you know, I, I'm not as active as I would love to be, as y'all can imagine, being educator, dad, um, <laughs> coaching, everything else that I do. Uh, it's hard for me to be as, as active as I would like, but I try to do what I can when I can um, for any organization I'm, I'm affiliated with. But, man, just really is an awesome program, people doing some good things for kids. Great. Yeah, uh, you know, and I commend you. You do have your uh... – Irons and lots of different fires. Um, did these generations, do these children know know your football status? Do you recognize what you've accomplished? Oh man, well, it's it's getting interesting. Um, the their parents, yes. <laughs> it's because their parents are all about my age, and you know they're they're having these kids now, and they're, they're telling the kids, man, I watched him when I was growing up, or you know when they first moved to the city. So that. That has been fun. That has been interesting. Uh, I've, I've enjoyed that. I've gotten to know uh, a lot of different uh, people uh, because of it. Uh, so that that has been fun. Um, uh, but you know, and now the kids are googling me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I have a kid come show. Hey, I saw a video of you yet last night. Like, what video? The, the, the miracle thing. You know. So it's it's been fun, brother. It's it's, it's been fun. I I, I think. I realize how old I am actually getting now, 
um, based off of that. But uh, I will say that the, the kids will find it interesting to find out their their quote unquote principal. The you know because nobody wants to talk to the principal. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> actually used to be a human being. Actually used to be somebody who played ball and you know that. And so you know, I do another thing. I do is radio. I do a pre and post game show for the Titans. And uh, yeah. So and so now the kids actually listen to my show. And they'll come back and talk to you about it. And even my own kids, my my kids at home. Like the other day, I said, "Damn!" And my son, he said, "Do you cuss on the radio?" I was like, "Golly, man, you, I can't, <laughs> I can't get away from it. I can't yeah. get away from it. You know, so I can't even be an adult sometimes. You know, I got to be at the kid level all the time, man." Yeah, because I mean, you went from one spotlight to another. <laughs> man, I'm telling you, man, it, it's a different, you know, uh, educator, principal. Uh, man, I've I've lived. I mean, I realized it since pretty much since high school. I have lived my life in the spotlight, and what I mean by that is I've been in positions where my life was public. Uh, I've been a professional athlete, been a college athlete, high school. I was the captain, you know, that type of thing. Then I went from that to being a principal. So I really haven't had a break to because anything to do with now public, you know. I go out drinking, have a, a drink or two in, in public. I got to worry about worrying to students and what they're going to say. <laughs> oh, I, <laughs> Dr. Dyson was out there with beer in his hand. You know what I mean? So it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's funny, man. This is one of the most public positions out there. Oh, uh, yeah. Most recognizable. And, you know, but, I, I, but again, and I enjoy it. I enjoy just that uh, relational piece with kids and even with the, the families that I'm able to come in contact with um it's been fun i, I mean uh it's been a different transition i would have never picked this as we talked about that earlier this wouldn't have been my path i would have picked that i would have thought i would have been on uh uh education I, educationally i never would have thought i would have gone and get the the multiple degrees no it just uh-huh. sport was my thing and that was the easy part to me that that's what i knew i knew how to play sports and so uh, I'm, I'm happy to share that with kids. Like, man, yeah, chase your dreams. If your dreams are go play professional baseball, hockey, football, bat, whatever it is, go after it. Singer, I don't care. But <laughs> do what you do, man. But there's a process and steps to getting to that, and you can't skip them. And yeah. that's one thing I'm trying to express to kids, man. Just education is every part of your process and, and your, your steps as anything. Well, let me ask you this. Let's combine them both. What was harder to What was harder to deal with, the ta- the tackle at the Super Bowl or today's parents and students? <laughs> <laughs> well, let me see. I don't know how many people listen to your show, so I'm gonna have to lie. Um, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm I'm say the Super Bowl. No. <laughs> well, we're up to, we're up to ten listeners right now. Eleven if you share this on your Facebook page. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, you know. Like I said, man, I've been able to uh, deal with sport, and I I know that aspect of it. I know the agony of defeat. I know how to use that as motivation. I know how to overcome that and and get over it, although getting tackled a yard short, the biggest game of my life, uh, was very hard to take. It took me a long time to get over that. But, again, I was able to channel that energy into something positive and motivate me to to that next season type thing. Um, So, but. One one thing I recognize when dealing with parents, and and I don't know if you gentlemen are parents or not. Oh yeah, uh, is yeah. So you get what I'm about to say is everybody's kid is the most important person in that building. They care less what anybody else is doing. They don't care what other parent how they parent this other kid or what have you until it affects their kid. And so you sometimes you deal with I wouldn't call it irrational, but there is some of that too. But you, but you're dealing with more of just a one-sided viewpoint because it's my kid. Well, as an educator, as a principal, I don't have that luxury. I have a thousand kids. I can't just solely make a decision based on your one kid and your one need. I have to make a decision that's collective and collaborative and that is globally concerning all 1,000 kids, not just your one son or daughter. And I think that's a hard thing for parents. And even for me, um, as a parent, when my kids, I got to keep that in mind when I'm talking to a teacher about my own kids, like, this is this is a decision. Yes, yeah, I'm here for my kid, but she, she or he is dealing with 30 kids or that principal's dealing for however many kids it, it may be. 
And so I try to keep that in mind. And even even as a as a coach, you know, you you find out you, real quick when I was that was one of those headaches I had. Like I said, it kind of led me to, to this path. Was you find out real quick that yeah, they want the best eleven on the the best eleven best ten on the field and their kids. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know they they don't care about anything else. They want the best ten in their kid. Not that he's the best kid or not. To them, he's the best kid. You know, you practice with him every day. You see what he is or is not doing, and yet they don't care because they they came to watch their kid play, and that's all they want to hear about. And so I, I learned that pretty early on, and that was something hard to deal with because my mom wasn't like that. She could care less. My mom was like, "You go get your education. I don't care about sport." Although she loved watching me play, but she never bothered coaches about how come he's not getting the football. How come he's not starting? How come he doesn't have this much playing time? How come he didn't have this many carries? My mom never worried about that kind of stuff. So I, so that was foreign to me. Uh, I heard about it, but before I became coaching and went to secondary education, I had no experience with it. So it's been an adjustment, and I, I'm getting an understanding. I get it uh, that, you know, like I said, everybody wants what's best for, yeah, everybody, but specifically my kids. And so that's that's been a, a – a, a great learning curve, and hopefully I'm navigating that pretty good. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, talking about the education world, like, like we just got the call today from my kid's school that it's it's going to be shut down the next two weeks. How's that been on the administration side, trying to lead through just the whole COVID-2020 school year? Uh, how's it been going for you guys and, and just, um, you know, parents, community? How have y'all been working through just the whole ups and downs and the unexpected? Uh, man, it's, you know, interestingly enough, um, you know, you, there's, I spend the majority of my day now dealing with COVID, contact tracing and finding out this information and make sure teachers are doing this and emailing teachers, this kid's going to be out for X, Y, Z number of days. And so I spend, uh, uh, I don't even know how much time now just on COVID. You know, I don't get to be, quote, unquote, instructional leader that you always envision yourself being because you're dealing with half a day, if not more of your day, dealing with COVID, new policies, new procedures. How are we going to let people in the basketball games and wrestling match and, and you know, those things that are coming up? Um, we've had what I have found, we've done our part to help with all the issues with the positive cases. For the most part, most people have tested positive outside of the school. And it might be like it might be their father tested positive, so the kids quarantine. Mm-hmm. Or you know, we had a teacher who um, had a, a family member test positive, and so she was quarantined and then end up positive, and so now her classes got quarantined. So and so nobody's really getting it from school, which has been good. Um, mm-hmm. However, the numbers increase when you talk about contact tracing and the the unknown about this virus and the better safe than sorry method that they're using with the health department and they just pull kids because we want to make sure. And I get it to a certain extent. Uh, my own kids have also been affected by it at home. Um, I have because I've had to stay home with them at times and make sure because they're quarantined for 14 days, even though they have a negative test. So, you know, that whole adjustment has been something to, to for everybody to get used to. I know there's been several families and parents, I sense their frustration. They have emailed me like, my daughter just got off of quarantine. She comes back one or two days, and now she's back on there again. And, I, you know, again, that's, that's frustrating in a lot of respects. I, can, I, I totally understand that. Yeah, that's what it was. It was difficult on the – I say, I do care about the middle school team. And I, I think we had two or three games. I mean, we, we were already in pregame as far as, like, pregame meal. And I always, I always get the pregame message to them before game. And then we would get a text from the other team, hey, guys, we're having such a game now because half our players are getting put in quarantine. We yeah. We definitely playing half our schedule because of it. Yeah, and I can imagine how frustrating that is. And, you know, especially at that level, we, I think we see higher numbers in the high school and college age. Why? They're more social, you know, mm-hmm. and they're more free. Middle school we don't see as much because they require and parents to take them places. And so parents are more cautious about it and more – uh, respectful to the virus, and they're like, no, I'm not taking you anywhere. You sit your butt at home, you know. <laughs> you, you know, well, the high school kids, they driving and they're going to football games and everything else, and they're having a good old time. So, you know, I think, I think globally, I think you're starting to see those numbers 
in uh, high, you see those numbers in high school and maybe even college that are a little higher than maybe they are at the middle school and elementary level. Do you think uh, the stress from COVID is why you got all that great hair in your beard now? <laughs> I should hang up right now. Uh, <laughs> man, I don't know. I think that's stress being an educator. No. Uh, <laughs> man, that's just, you know, it. I'll tell you this, man. A little, little, little history fact. I've had, I had a little strand of gray since I was like 16, 17 years old in my really? in my hair. Yeah, I, I used to be able to pluck it so you didn't even notice it. <laughs> <laughs> but now, man, forty five, man, it, it it came up on me pretty fast. Yeah. Well, that's what I always told folks when I taught seventh graders. They didn't give me like coffee mugs and neckties. They gave me high blood pressure. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, let's. Uh, well, we won't. We won't get you too much longer. We got a couple of fan things to say to you, but let's talk about the Titans right quick. Uh, what is your What is your opinion on this this Bengals game yesterday? Uh, I think I'm frustrated like everybody else. I just. You know that was one. Of, that was the first time I think you saw a chink in the armor to the point where you didn't think they had a shot. Uh, even though the game was, you know, approachable, especially at the end, um, it, it still didn't have that feel. They just seemed like they were being dominated for whatever reason uh, yesterday. Uh, I think part of that is the concerns on defense, um, especially from third down perspective. I mean, you can't even. I don't think you'd be that successful playing video games, giving up seventy percent. You know on third down, uh, you know, in the, let alone the professional rank. Um, so I sense everybody's frustration, including my own. Um, I think, you know, you let a team like – well, I feel like Cincinnati's not a bad team. Their team has been playing good football. They've been in every game except for maybe one, maybe two. Um, and yet, you know, people tend to forget because of their record that they are a professional football team. Um, so, you know, I'm frustrated. I, I, I'm advocating to bring Dean Peace back because – Something's not gelling. We've got our all-pro free safety who is non-existent. We've got a potential all-pro middle linebacker who's non-existent. Um, we have no sacks from these high-priced defensive ends. Um, so it's something's, something's going to have to change here soon. And yeah. uh, so we'll see how what they do, what they come up with. Yeah, and in all seriousness, I'm 38 years old and overweight, and I can hit some of them field goals. <laughs> well, that too, you know, yeah. and bad snaps by a, a very good long snapper, uh, you know, and, you know, and now our punter looks like he might have a little hurt from yeah. trying to make a tackle. You know, it's just it was just a frustrating game, brother. It was. What were they going to do to the Bears? You know, the Bears, interesting enough, their offense is not very good. I mean, they they got talent. I just think their quarterback play is average at best, um, so that helps. Um, but their defense is one of the best in the National Football League. You know, I, you know, they just they get after the quarterback. They got one of the best pass rushers in the game, one of the best to ever do it in Khalil Mack, in my opinion. Um, so they 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 pose a lot of dangers, and um, we'll see what the Titans can come up with, man. Because it's going to be a rough one. I think it's going to be a rough one tomorrow or yeah. Sunday. Sunday. Yeah, well, it's my it's coming up. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, we'll see how they how they can handle. It. I mean, I, I the, their offense doesn't scare me, but that doesn't mean anything in that football league, especially if you can't get after the quarterback. Like if you watched the game last night, New Orleans was able to get after Nick Foles, and and he wasn't. He was kind of flustered. Uh, will the Titans be able to do that, or we be able? Because any quarterback in this league, if you get them all day, they can do what they want to do with the ball. They're all good, you know. So we'll see what we'll see what they come up with. That's it. Fingers crossed. We'll be praying for him. Yeah, absolutely, brother. Dr. Dyson, I just want to say, you know, I, I think the, the Music City Miracle kind of falls under one of those we all remember where we were at when it happened. Uh, and it's, it, for, for my memory was we was actually in a Middle Tennessee mass choir going to practice. And uh, we were sitting in the car. We were late for practice. We're listening to the game. And then, of course, the Bills got up. And so we were like, well, 16 seconds left. The game's over. Went in, did practice. And I remember getting back in the car. And we're listening. like, wait a second. Is this right? We won. And, uh, <laughs> you know, this is the date myself. I was a high school student and didn't have a smartphone. There wasn't the ability to get on. <laughs> and, uh, unless, you, unless you did the old dial-up computer. But I you know, just listened to it. And I remember when we realized that we won the game, we we just about tore that Oldsmobile apart uh, from pure excitement. So, uh, <laughs> I appreciate the memory. It's definitely uh, uh, a great one. 
Well, man, I appreciate I appreciate the story, man. I I, I still hear a lot of different stories, man, and I appreciate every last one of them, man. It's been it's been a fun ride for twenty years, man. It's it's interesting. Uh, I mean, I I think of different moments in my life where sports impacted me and made me a fan uh, of of different things. I can think about the baby hook, the Magic Johnson against the Celtics in the in the in the garden. I can think of Michael Jordan and the floating hanging double pump shot to beat Cleveland. You know, I can think of different moments that made me a fan of whatever. And, and uh, I'm happy to be a part of some people's lives like that, man, 20 years later. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. And, and it's always meant so much to me as well. And I want to tell you a story. Uh, last year I was sitting at the Bills game with a friend of mine who was a Bills fan surrounded by their, you know, their Bills backers or whatever. Yeah. And uh, they show, of course, the Music City Miracle across the screen. This one Bill fan yells, that's the only play you got. I turn around and I go, well, that's really the only play you need. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, the freaking lootly. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it, it was awesome. Well, let me tell you my, my fan story, and I and I, you may remember it, but I, you may not, but I always will. I worked at Slammin' Sam's in the Cool Springs Mall when I was a kid. Uh-huh. The little baseball card store. And you would pop in from time to time, and I was in awe of you. You know, I was a youngster myself playing high school football. Oh, so yeah. You like larger than life. And the second time you came in, you remembered my name and said, hi, Josh. And uh, that was like my Super Bowl. I felt like <laughs> this is Actually, that, that, now that you say that, I do remember that, man. That was up there yeah. by the uh, cookie place up there upstairs. That's it. Absolutely, yeah. I, yeah, now that you now that you remember, I do remember that now. You yeah, should have lived with in. that, man. You lived with that. This whole conversation, <laughs> I didn't know how, who I was talking to. Now you're going to leave with that. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's like exactly. It's like yeah, Josh from 1990, or whatever. But anyway, he said, he said, "Hey, Josh, how you doing?" And I was like, "Oh my gosh, I feel like the coolest guy in the world." <laughs> yeah, I do remember that, brother. Yeah, it's funny, man. It's a long time. Yeah, yeah you anyway, were a kid then. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, uh, but um, like I said, the greatest feeling ever was with the miracle, and then like the one of the worst one, of course, was with the tackle. But either way, you uh, you're always gonna be a champion to me, and, and the greatest wide receiver that ever played for my beloved Titans. And I just want to say, God bless you, Doctor Dice. Keep it up, and thank you for taking the time. Absolutely, brother. I appreciate y'all, man. And anytime, man, we can always chop it up. Have, have fun. Next up on the podcast, we've got Butch Vig, one of the greatest producers to ever step behind a console and bring music to life, a phenomenal drummer. He's got a project called Five Billion in Diamonds. They've got a new single called Weight of the World, which has a really groovy 80s feel. Be sure to check that out wherever you listen to music. That interview's next on the Uncharted Podcast. Butch, um, I wanted to... Uh... Come back to that. You said you played in Columbia, Tennessee. What what brought you to Columbia, Tennessee? Just out of curiosity. Oh, this is a long. This is twenty twenty five thirty years ago. Um, <laughs> I can't even remember how long ago. It was before garbage. Wow. Um, I seem to remember there was, there was either a club or a is there a university in or next to it? Um, oh, the yes. band the band I was with, Firetown, did a tour of like the midwest and the east coast and i seem to remember that we played there this would have been in like the late 80s early 90s that's awesome yeah we have a, a little community college called columbia state they have a real nice uh, cherry theater and every year they do like a, a concert series so i could totally see that that's awesome yeah, yeah but it was a long time ago my friend a long time ago that's still that's still really cool well anyway i just when you said that it kind of floored me <laughs> but uh uh, let's talk about uh, Five Billion in Diamonds, this super group. Uh, this song is groovy, man. This the weight of the world. It uh, to me, it's got like a like an '80s feel to it. Is this an intentional thing? It is. You know, we when we made the first record, uh, a lot of our influences were sort of based on obscure, like folk psychedelic folk rock from like the '60s and '70s, as well as film soundtracks. Nice. When we started writing Divine Accidents, we we let some influences from the 80s and even the 90s creep in. But I can hear like uh, the Psychedelic Furs and the Cure and yeah. the Smiths and uh, the band called Da Da. I can hear a lot of those different bands and in uh, some of the influences on the new album. Yeah, maybe a little hint of Depeche Mode a little bit in there. I thought maybe. Oh yeah, yeah, and I love Depeche Mode. I yeah. love them. Violator is one of my top. 20 albums of all time. 
That's awesome. That's cool. Yeah, because listening to it, I, I I dug the sound. I was like, man, this is ha- this has got a whole theme to it. And um, and I did read you were talking about like a soundtrack. Like uh, it was described as a, uh, a, a imaginary film soundtrack. But like, what what uh, film would this be put to? Like, what would the characters be like? And all that good stuff. Well, James Grillo, one of the members of the band who's a DJ, sort of had the idea that it was that our music would be based around like some B movies, like a uh, sort of like uh, sub James Bond movies from the sixties, but not as good as Bond. <laughs> yeah. You know, like a, like a, pretty, a really quirky B movie. Um, although at this particular song, you know, Evett Lumberg sings it and he's, uh, he's Swedish. He's from the band soundtrack of our lives. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the way he sings it, you know, the the lyrics are, are quite dark, but he sort of makes it seem joyous, like uh, like he's happy that the world is so effed up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and I like that track because the track is is pretty upbeat, um, and he really lets it go. He pushes his voice really quite hard in that last chorus. But uh, yeah, it's 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 a cool song. Yeah, what I like about it is, like you said, and I felt the same way. It's like. It's kind of like a song saying, well, the world is completely upside down, so we just make do with what we've got. Like, we just got to make the best out of what we're working with. Yeah, it's like, the world's crazy, and I feel fine. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's sort of like, lyrically, like R.E.M.'s, it's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. I I can see where that, there's a bit of an analogy to that lyrically. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Now, um, how did you get uh, all these collaborators together? Because this is like basically a super group with you at the helm. Well, I've known James and Andy for a long time. Uh, they both live in England, and they're very good friends of mine. And uh, when we initially started the first record, it was just going to be instrument, instrumental music four years ago. And then we decided, you know, let's see if we can get some singers on this. So what we did is we sort of drew up a list of people who we thought might be cool and Evett was one because we're all huge fans of his band soundtrack of our lives and as it happened garbage is playing a festival in sweden and soundtrack of our lives were on the same bill and uh, james flew up from england and uh, we went and watched their their set and afterwards they came off and they were going back to their dressing room and james and i ran up and went hey we have this band and we think you should sing some songs with us and Evett was like well okay of course i will it was that simple (laughs) And literally yeah. six days later, he was down in Bristol in the UK recording two or three tracks for the first album. That's awesome. Yeah, and the, and the first album has kind of like a time uh, feel of its own too, kind of like like '60s right into the '70s, like right uh, like like teetering into like uh, the the peaceful revolution, like from Vietnam into the hippie age, onto like you know the go for it '70s. To me, anyway, from what I've listened. Yeah, to. yeah, I think you're right, and and we definitely were more conscious of trying to. Uh, the influences in the first record were coming more from the late 60s, early 70s. But uh, also, as you said, we definitely dipped into the 80s more on the new album. Yeah, I dig it. See, I was born right at the beginning of the 80s. So uh, anything that, that, that can make me uh, nostalgic, I'm all about it. And I think you guys <laughs> Yeah, right on. Um, the name, I love it, Five Billion and Diamonds. Whose idea was that? It was James Grillo's. He uh, he kept saying that we need, to, we need to make it sound like it's a really bad E movie from the late sixties with like that maybe Michael Caine was in maybe Michael Caine was the main actor but uh, you yeah know, so that's that's sort of what the reference is about that is so funny um uh, this the whole album does like because I've only had the privilege of hearing this one song I know it's coming out uh, Friday November the twentieth if I'm correct um, correct does it yeah. all have the does it all have the same feel like a kind of like a like an 80s vibe with this, uh, these musicians involved is it all kind of like the same theme um it's quite diverse you know we started writing this record we uh unlike the first record which we wrote music and then gave it to singers we knew who the singers were going to be on the second album so we sort of tailor made each song to each specific singer and um some of the songs like the uh, Divine Accidents, the first track on the record that Ebbett sings is sort of got a little bit of a 60s um, kinks vibe to it. There's a, tw- a ringy 12-string guitar in it. Ebbett sings that. But also I, I hear a little bit of early 90s in it. Yeah. Um, there's some, it's kind of a groovy uh, sort of early 70s track, Color You In, that Helen sings on. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a song called Let It Get Away From You that James Bagshaw sings. He's in the psychedelic band in England temples yeah and it's that to me 
sounds closest to like uh, 2020. I kind of, when I was writing the music to it, I, I loved the band Tame Impala. So I was trying to sort of get a little bit of a Tame Impala-esque influence. But if you know Tame Impala, their music also references the 80s. So it's like all they, you know, we're referencing a new a new band that's referencing the 80s. So it's all, you know, it's all kind of mixed together. Um, there's a great song on the record called uh, Into Your Symphony that David Scheltzel from the band Ocean Blue sings. Mm-hmm. And that is very much inspired by The Cure. When you when you hear it, it just, and, and the way he, he, David almost sings it like Morsi. But wow. the music sonically is like a, an update on a Cure track. That's awesome. Uh, well, first and foremost, I, I know it does have, like we've been discussing, hints of like 80s themes. But what's so brilliant about it is it's, it's completely original. It's not anything that we're listening that we hear right now that's out and that's the beauty of it because it's a brand new palette for your ears to enjoy like that's what i liked about it it's it's nothing i'm hearing right now being fed to me through the uh through the system or on spotify or anything and that was really refreshing and i just i enjoy all of it and i can't wait to hear the rest of the album yeah cool man well, i'm glad you dig it we're, we're totally psyched for it to come out we, we're getting a lot of really good press and yeah. uh, the, the only bummer is man we originally we were planning on doing some live shows yeah, um, oh, this this fall with the release of the record, obviously that's all been pushed back till who knows when, you know. Um, yeah. But uh, we we've always wanted to go out and play live with this band because the, the musicians in it are kick ass too. Uh, so I'm hoping, fingers crossed, we'll be able to do that fall. Yeah, that's what's so heartbreaking is is not getting to see live music. I actually went to my first live concert last week and just absorbed every bit of it because I was like, man, it'd been seven months. Um, and they did a show in Nashville at Marathon Music Works for uh, for like a COVID charity. And yeah. Even though we were socially distanced, that was the awkward part because you know we weren't dancing and nobody was. was no, it was not crowded, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what about? Uh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't seen a show since December, like the first week of December. It's it's, it's almost a year, man. It's uh, it's bumming me out. I want I want to go see live music. Yeah, nothing beats. Uh, I mean, you know, like I said, you could do the live streaming and stuff. Or are you guys going to do any of that, like some some concerts via, you know, one of these, um, you know, band, uh, you know, things or like where you play a live show and people could just pay to like kind of view or whatever? We might, but the, the only problem is it's already daunting for us as we live all over the place. Like I live in Los Angeles. David Schultz, one of the singers, lives in Minneapolis. James and Andy live in the UK. Abbott lives in Sweden. Wow. Our flute player lives in ireland um our drummer lives in france um the bass player sometimes splits his time between spain and england and and uh so i don't know how we get all of the the zoom cameras in sync you yeah. know to, to do an actual live performance it's it's one thing if you can all get into a room you know into a room that's well ventilated and socially distanced you know even even wearing a mask but yeah. um it's 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 darn it's almost impossible right now did you all record together in the same place we did, and luckily we finished the bulk of the recording in November uh, last year. Then I started mixing uh, in December and finished the mixing in January. Um, but I have a studio here in my home in Los Angeles, and about half the record is recorded here. And then uh, one of the uh, the main guys, Andy Jenks, in the band has a studio in Bristol in the UK. Um, it's an amazing studio. It's an old BBC radio studio built in like the late 50s early 60s it's so cool it, it's like you step into a time warp when you go in there you expect the engineers to walk around with white lab coats you know <laughs> it, it it just looks like a, like you've gone into a time warp it's really cool yeah uh are they still using analog or they switch to digital yeah yeah i mean they have pro tools there i have pro tools in my studio but at andy's studio uh um the christchurch it, it's like it, it's a full-on analog studio and uh they have tons of vintage keyboards and Andy Jenks is a great keyboard player on the, on, you'll hear it on the five billion in diamonds record. There's a lot of analog keyboards on it that Andy plays. And uh, he's responsible for a lot of the sort of fairy dust textures. There's all these little Moog synthesizers and ARP synthesizer stuff in the background that are uh-huh. floating around and they're giving it just kind of a cool vibe. And uh, that's one of the reasons I love to go there because they have such an awesome collection of vintage instruments. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm all about like I mean I know digital is the wave of the future, but like something about that old school sound just can't be beat. Like, have you ever had the opportunity to um, tour uh, in Muscle Shoals Fame Studio or Muscle Shoals Sound? I I know of it. I've seen the documentary, but I've never been in the studio. Now, 
Yeah, it's just really neat because whoever, you know, gets to record there, they have the option. They can either do digital or, or just go old school. And it's just – it's really something to behold. Like, it's it's like stepping into a, a time to see the, you know, uh, you know what they used to do back in the day versus what they do now. You know, the cool thing about recording on tape, going analog, is it's all about the performance. Because with digital, you can manipulate everything. You can choose timing. You can pitch correct things. You can chop and paste it. When you're recording analog, it's all about you got to play. You got to play your butt off, you know. Yeah. And, uh, that, that's what I love about analog recording. Yeah, it, it's so to me, it's just so authentic because you do. You have to give your heart and soul to it. Otherwise, it's let's do it again. <laughs> yeah, and and when you do it again, you're going to erase the previous version, so you better play it better. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Uh, with that being said, um, uh, some of the musicians I've spoke to recently, a lot of them actually, they say they're more busy now than ever uh, since COVID's been around. Do you feel the same way with what you've got going on uh, with your life and career? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm very busy. Um, I'm lucky that I have a home studio. Yeah. Um, we finished recording the new Garbage record literally the Friday before LA went into lockdown. Wow. And there were still bits and pieces to do that we had to finish. But um, I just signed off on the mastering, so that record is done. Nice. Um, I have worked with a band Silver, some pickups who I've been involved with. Uh, we did it. We recorded a couple more bonus tracks for Five Billion in Diamonds that, that we just finished that we've been finishing via file sharing. Uh-huh. Cool. I also worked on a. I've been working on some uh, software instruments. Uh, I work with a company called Native Instruments, and I made a bunch of big drums, like a drum machine that you can play on your computer, and, and that was really fun because it was really you know really tweaky, taking drums and really distressing them and and uh, tweaking them and and. Uh, it's just total for me, just being a total lab rat in the studio. I just get to make crazy sounds, and uh, and I also did a lot of uh, pro bono work for soundtrack music for the election. Um, most of it was nonpartisan, basically just telling people to vote, and uh, yeah. and that was really interesting, just to 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 be involved with making little video clips and stuff, and uh, just trying to help, you know. So. That's and we have an election cool. upon us, so who knows what kind of chaos there'll be over the next couple of days. That, that's it. I'm going to treat it just like Halloween. I'm just going to go board up in my room. But <laughs> I, I, I'm with you, though, on the importance of voting. Like, uh, you know, ever since uh, I've been of age, I feel like, you know, with all the servicemen and women that have served and fought, it's, it's my right to do it. And, and I'm the same way with you. I don't stress what candidate to go just as long as you get out there and, and exercise your right. And, uh, you know, it's, it's almost like your duty. Uh, to get out there and, you know, cast your ballot. Because otherwise, uh, the end result, you really can't do any complaining, I wouldn't think. Yeah, and it's, like you said, you want your voice to be heard. You know, it's, it's not even just about candidates, about all sorts of issues and propositions and wherever you live. And, you know, you, you want to make sure that you, you know, in the United States, we're lucky that we can do this. A lot of countries, they don't, they can't vote. They're run by a dictator, you know. So yeah. we we still have that right here. And, and so you need to exercise that, so. I'm, you know, I'm excited to see that with the election results, but I think it might be chaotic for a couple of days, just the way things have been. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm worried about because whatever side of the fence you're on, I really wish because um, the way I feel about it, and I'm not just saying this to say it, but whoever wins, whether it's whoever I picked or whoever somebody else did, that's still the free country's leader. We have a system to where we're allowed to do that. I wish everybody could just be amicable about it and not get out here and try to start a full-on, you know, protest or anything violent. I, I yeah I agree I, I just want there to be a clear winner and then there's no chaos or no uh, protests or anybody getting killed or injured you know just like let's let's just make sense of it and get it get a solid decision you know yeah that's right that's just the only way to be in. and that's that's what I hope for whether I get it or not it's a whole other story but um, anyway we'll, we'll hop out of that I wanted to ask you know being being a Nashvilleian um, most of my life. Have you ever been a part of or thought about producing or playing on a country album? Uh, you know, I would love to do that. I've worked with some country singers in the past, none, none very big, none that you would know from Nashville. But when I was in Madison, there were a lot of, uh, there were a fair amount of country artists that played around the area there. And they used to come, I, I had a recording studio called Smart Studios and, and recorded some of the artists there. Um, I did. I worked with a, a, a singer songwriter, uh, Freddie Johnston. Oh, he's phenomenal, uh, man. Love Freddie. Yeah, who's he's not country, but he's he's acoustic guitar and you know yeah. very plaintive, beautiful. Almost uh, his songs almost remind me of Cormac McCarthy short stories. Uh, 
And I, I would love to do it, but everybody always associates me with uh, making big, loud rock records. But um, I, you know, I, I love all different kinds of music, so I think I'd be good uh, uh, recording country artists because I'm, as a producer, I'm always very keenly aware how important the song is. You know, the song's always the king. Yeah. Well, um, Freddie, you know, of course, his voice, especially that album that you produced, uh, he's got a voice that can just get into your soul and like flip your heart. Like you feel what he's singing, man. He's he's incredible. But like you brought him up, man. That just brought back a blast from the past because I discovered him obviously through the Kingpin movie, but then just became yeah, that's fan. right, yeah, yeah. yeah um, I, I'm still good friends with Freedy. He's uh, you know we're, we're very close, and uh, the the record we made, this perfect world, I think is just a, an absolute. It's kind of an almost a perfect record. Every song on it is really really great. It is, yeah, and that's just. That's just you, a uh, an attribute to your your brilliance. I know you're a humble human, but you just have the ability to to do ma- magic uh, on both ends, whether you're playing or producing it. And I've always admired that about you. Some people don't have that gift, and you just have the knack for it. So kudos to you. <laughs> right on. Well, thanks for saying that. Yeah, I've always wanted to tell you. So it's so cool that I finally get to. Um, uh, but, well, let me ask you this: Was saying that what experience or like what music did you listen to? That, that made you decide that drums and producing and just being engulfed in music was a career path for you? Well, when I was a kid, I was lucky. My mom is a music teacher, and she exposed me to tons of different styles of music. I mean, she played the Beatles. She played Frank Sinatra and the Tijuana Brass. She played musicals and jazz music. And uh, and then growing up in a small town in Wisconsin, I also heard polka music on the radio and country music. So I, I have never felt elitist about music but when i went to uw uh madison and i went into film school there and there was that was right around the time like new wave and punk was coming out and when i heard those kind of bands i felt there was a very diy uh, attitude to it you know i mean a band like the ramones if if they can play in a band i can play in a band too so I, i kind of felt a kinship to a lot of the bands that came out of the punk and new wave uh movement and uh that that's why i started started playing in bands and that's why I wanted to become a, a engineer and a producer. Yeah. That's awesome. I was just always curious cause I was like, what, what got you to that point? Cause there, you know, um, and, uh, I'm not, I'm going to actually tell you what got me to that point. I mean, I'm not going to ask you any Nirvana questions. Uh, you know, obviously you've been very generous about everything you've ever done and, you know, the YouTube videos and everything, but I did want to tell you that, uh, the you know never mind what changed my life and how I look at music and what made me want to become a drummer. So I just want to say thank you for creating it. Uh, I, uh, it was definitely a bucket list thing that I wanted to tell you. So just thank you for making that. That's all. Oh, uh, that's really cool, man. That, that's yeah. really cool, Josh. Thanks for saying that. Yeah, absolutely. you know I I I remember when I was really little, my parents were watching a, a, the Smothers Brothers show. And I saw the Who on there, and I saw Keith Moon, and I was like, I didn't even know what he was doing, but he was playing crazy on the drums. I was like, I want to do that, you know. When, yeah. when I took up drums years later, I I realized I can't play like Keith Moon. I can play more like Ringo or more like Charlie Watts from the Stones, but yeah. I still love the Who to to this day. Uh, Who's Next is one of my favorite like classic rock records, and uh, I just I just love the sound they made as a band, and, and I love Pete Townsend songwriting. So they yeah. they were the formative bands for me when I was really small. Yeah, I understand. I, uh, well, as a kid, and uh, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I will, uh, I was listening to a lot. A lot of my classmates were, unfortunately, you know, bubblegum pop and, and rap. <laughs> and um, then I had a cousin named Stacy, and like I said, I was about 11, and she had a CD. I know people now don't know what that is, but uh, had a CD <laughs> of Nevermind and gave it to me. And wow. I took that home, and it changed my whole life. I asked for a drum set for my birthday. I got one and just played with it till I remember like my hands, uh, they would bleed where the sticks, you know, just constantly playing. And um, it's just, uh, it, it meant so much to me. Like I said, I know you've heard it. And I, you know, I wasn't going to dare ask anything because you've been more than generous about it, but you did. Your your leadership changed the trajectory of how I play music, how I loved it, more than play music. And then, you know, now I spend my whole life chasing it, whether podcasting about it playing whatever it just uh it did a, it did a world of uh, good for me and i've always will be indebted to you for it oh well, that's really cool josh uh, you know thanks for saying that that's a good record to practice drums to by the way <laughs> it, it is to get all your young youth and your aggression out it, it was you know uh, and like i said i i have my own drum style and that's the beauty of drums everybody can be different but uh 
but Dave Grohl, I, uh, you know, I used to pretend that <laughs> I was like, that's what I'm going to be when I grow up. <laughs> right on. Yeah. And, Super and then, cool, you know, man. Watching you knock it out with garbage and everything as well. Um, let me ask you this. Do you feel like, uh, you know, obviously that uh, contribution was the voice of my generation. Do you feel like there's any candidates for today's youth? Have you heard anybody or in your own uh, opinion think uh, could be their spokesperson of their generation? Well, interesting you say this. Uh, last week I did an interview and I said something to the effect that if, if Nevermind came out right now, I don't know if it would have the same cultural impact because times have changed. The kind of music that people listen to has changed. And and uh, an artist who I feel has sort of tapped into a similar zeitgeist moment is Billie Eilish. Yeah. And she's really just set the world on fire. I mean, completely different sounding than Nirvana, but there's something sure. about her that is speaking to a generation of kids the way Nevermind spoke to a generation of kids, you know, 25 years ago. Yeah, you know, I, I didn't think about that, but you're absolutely right. That young lady, she is making a tidal wave of difference, uh, difference because even my daughter, who is now 20, she uh, she's liking the Billie Eilish. And I'm at the age now, I'm 38, and I've uh, I've kind of teetered off listening to new stuff unless I tell me about it. <laughs> so. Well, it's, you know, I... I, I'm I've known Billy since she was a little kid because uh, they live in the neighborhood here and she lived in the neighborhood with her parents and uh, her mom Maggie was my daughter's first music teacher. Wow! And uh, cool. I've seen I've seen her and I've seen her and Phineas since they were like ten years old, and now they're you know they before COVID hit they were headlining arenas around the world, yeah. and uh, and they will they're you know they're working on a new record now but but anyway it just what I'm saying is somehow they. When when her record came out last year, and won all the Grammy awards and stuff, but it just sounded fresh. Mm-hmm. And I think people are always looking for something um, that's going to turn their heads. You know, the reason Nevermind was a success at the time because it didn't sound like anything else. And yeah. now when Billy's record came out, even though there's hip hop elements and there's you know uh, electronica elements, she still between her singing and how Phineas produced it, it sounds totally unique. And uh, that's one of the, it's just one of the reasons the record is huge because it just sounds like it's incredibly fresh sounding. Yeah, I agree. I agree from everything I listen to. Yeah. She's, she's still young too. Like she's got the whole world ahead of her. I think she's only 17 or 18. Yeah. She's, she's she's very young. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That is very impressive. That's awesome. I'm going to, uh, because of what you just said, I'm going to explore her her more because I, I really want to dive into that because that sounds really really cool. Um, you did mention garbage for a brief second. Um, so you said when is that album available? Or you, and obviously you can't tour, but what what's going on with that? Well, we just finished it. Um, just got the mastering done. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was supposed to come out this fall, but we also thought we'd have the record finished by May. Once once the uh, lockdown went in effect. It just slowed down the final process of getting the last bits recorded and mixing, but it's done now. I'm guessing it'll come out like May or June nice. uh, next year, and that will hopefully will be on the road, um, you know, August or September, something like that. Fingers crossed. Um, yeah, yeah. I think the record is good. It's it's very dark. It's uh-huh. it's kind of eclectic. Each song is kind of uh, has its own sort of sonic imprint. And uh, I think that the lyrics that Shirley has written are very much about the crazy world that we live in right now. So I think it's it's a very timely sounding. Right. That's awesome. Well, hey, that's exciting. Well, well, Butch, uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it truly was. Uh, it, it meant the world to me to speak with you. Uh, if you're ever in Nagin, maybe I can uh, air high five you or actually give you a high five if I ever <laughs> see you at a venue or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, that would be cool, Josh. And, and I appreciate the time today, man. It was nice talking with you. Our next guest on the podcast is Lily Winwood, a phenomenal singer-songwriter, a Nashville, Tennessee native. Her newest single is called Few More Records. You can check that out wherever you listen to music. Her debut album is called Time Well Spent. It's expected to be released early 2021. That interview is coming up right now. Enjoy. Okay, Lily, my first question is your your accent is it's neat. Um, uh, now, it said you were born in the United States but moved to a place in England I can't pronounce. Um, uh, so where, where were you born originally? Yeah, um, so I was born in Nashville. Nice. Um, but I grew up in Gloucestershire, England, which is probably okay. the word that you can't pronounce. Yeah. Um, 
But it's interesting, and I feel I've been in Nashville now for about seven years, so I have this weird kind of like twang every once in a while. So many people think I'm Australian. Really? Do you say y'all? Do you know what? Depending on how many drinks I've had, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, uh, I was just kind of curious because I saw that, and I, I didn't want to butcher the name of that town, so I, I figured I'd let you uh, educate me on it. But um, right. anyway, listen to the single, few more records. I, I like it. I mean, it's uh, it's very uh, it's it's catchy and it's deep. It's like it's got a good rhythm, but the the lyrics are very they're in there. It's like a, like a John Pine song i guess you could say it's what made me think the first time i heard it wow thank you that's what a comparison thank you so much yeah i mean i Um, I know he's all in the news everywhere but it's one of those songs where like you can really get into it but it's got so many complexities to it i just thought that's what i was like that's what that is you know without trying to you know uh, run his name anywhere but yeah that's what right very groovy yeah thank you um i think like a lot of this whole record that's coming out, um, we wanted to kind of focus just mainly on the lyrics and build the music around that. So when I first went into the studio, I didn't necessarily think like, oh, let's write this boot scootin' boogie song. Um, and it just kind of <laughs> came together like that. So, yeah. yeah. It's just like you got so much going on in the song, but, you know, on top of that, you got to make sure you sell a few more records. I just like it. I'm digging it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And you mentioned underwear in the song. You don't hear underwear too much in many songs. (laughs) True. (laughs) Yeah, I like it. So uh, with that being said, then the the debut album, like I know you had an EP, but this is your full album, Time Well Spent, uh, is coming out here in 2021. Uh, Like what month do you think? That is. Um, so we're shooting for the end of January. Um, January 29th is the date we have now, just to kind of, you know, avoid all the election BS. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm so excited to get this debut record out. Um, it's something a lot of the songs are older um, and have been sort of under my belt, and I've been ready for the world to hear it for over – two years now so right on can't wait to get it out there <laughs> that's gonna be great yeah i understand uh you're talking about the the election and everything it's like every time i turn on social media it's like i know how to vote you don't have to remind me every time i, I know <laughs> <laughs> you know exactly. i'm wanting to listen to, you, wanting to, listen yeah, to some music or look at yeah yeah i voted just for the selfie <laughs> yeah here i've got the sticker okay you don't have to remind me anymore <laughs> right <laughs> so um I noticed, uh, let's see, uh, you, I saw on yours, I was doing a little bit of internet trolling, you played at Kimbrough's, which is a pretty rocking spot. Are, are you a regular over there amongst all the stuff they've got going on? Kimbrough's, yeah. Um, I love it over there. Yeah, it's fantastic because it's like it used to be a little house, but every every five feet there's somebody with something in their hands picking and playing. Oh, my gosh, I know. I am. Um, yeah. I took couple of my neighbors with me because you know we played a show kind of amidst covid um we didn't really know like what it was going to be like and of course none of my neighbors had been out or anything like that so i was like hey why don't you guys come to a show and just get out of the house for a second yeah and took them all out there and they're like what is this place like who are all these people playing and just kind of thought it was such a cool place and i agree like it's even in the heart of downtown Franklin, it's, it's a wonderful bar. I love it. Yeah, it's fantastic. See, I was I was born and raised in Franklin back when uh, the only thing you had to do was uh, hang out on the square. So it's right. Fun, yeah. Uh, uh, my favorite thing about Kimbrough's, um Last time I was in there, my uh, have you ever heard of Cam Pierce? Uh, I believe so. Yes. Okay. Anyway, he's a staple there. My friend Sam plays mandolin for him, and I'm there showing my support. And I'm sitting down, and you know how the tables are crowded, and uh, this young lady sits next to me, and we just start talking. No big deal. You know, she's talking about, I just moved here, and I do this, and so on and so forth, and I'm bragging on my friend. Well, her her boyfriend or her date or whatever sits with us, and he's like, who are you? And I explained <laughs> to him, you know, we're just talking. I'm like, I'm, you know, I was just here. She needed a seat, and she sat down, and he goes, well, I drive Jason Aldean's bus. And I go, oh, really? So you know Rich Redman, who's his drummer, who happens to be a friend of mine? And he uh-huh. goes, he goes, who's that? Oh, no. <laughs> and then I went, oh, I'm just going to let this guy just hang himself. 
because he's already he's already too yeah. far. So. Well, <laughs> and the reason I bring that up, uh, somebody told me like your dad's a musician as well. Does he play some music or something? He does. Just yeah, just a few I things. <laughs> yeah, I I I tried to look him up. He I couldn't find him on Google or anything. But <laughs> I'm just kidding. But uh, uh, anyway, I did uh, in all seriousness stumble upon your duet with him of Higher Love. And let me tell you, I know that was a few years old, but this world needs that more than anything right now. That like the combination you two did, perfect because like we're so much struggle and anger and pain and cooped upness and so on and so forth. Uh, just good job on that. I mean, like, right. uh, thank you so much. Um, you it. That actually, that song um, when we recorded it. So, uh, James Vincent McMorrow does a cover of Higher Love. Um, and we were both just so fascinated with like the style he did it in, and we were kind of like, well, maybe we should try and do like a slow down version and both yeah. sing on it. And I can remember we started like getting to work on it and I was like on full break or something from school. I think I was about 17 and I had the worst cold of my life. Uh-uh. Um, and so I can just remember getting into the vocal booth and being like, all right, here it goes. And I think like just the, if you listen back to it, you'll, you'll hear that I'm just really kind of nasal. <laughs> singing on it. Well, it just sounds so, it just sounds so beautiful and rhythmic. Like I, I didn't hear any nasalness in there, but uh, next time I'll definitely <laughs> check for some, for some wheezing or something. But I just right. now to that I've said good, it, yeah. <laughs> you'll be now that you've said it, the, the 12 people that listen to my podcast, are going to know. Uh, but um, well, uh, another thing you did, uh, another cover. I don't know if you'd call it. Well, Islands in the Stream was fantastic. You, you nailed that too. I bet Dolly would love to hear that if she hadn't already. Oh wow! I mean, I'd be honored for Dolly to hear that. Yeah, that was just a, a fun project me and Bure did together. Um, and I think he's just such a fantastic musician, and I always have so much fun playing with him. And um. Yeah, I loved singing that with him too. It was just it's just a lot of fun. That's always yeah. such a good like that's always my go to karaoke song too. Yeah, you, <laughs> yeah, you can't go wrong with Islands in the Street. I mean Kenny Rogers was just oozing with coolness and then him and Dolly together it's like wow. I mean they really nailed it when they when they got together and collaborated on that. Right. Oh my gosh, Kenny Rogers was just the coolest. R. I. P. Yeah, exactly. I I was uh, the other day fumbling through um, some records over here. We have a little place called like the Treasure Chest, and there was a uh, a uh, New Dimension or whatever he was in album. Anyway, I gave six bucks for it. Uh, the song that played on the Big Lebowski, "What Condition My Condition Was In." Oh yeah. <laughs> what a treat! Yeah, I gave like three dollars for it. Well worth it. I don't. None of the other songs I think <laughs> amounted to much, but that one's on there. So. Oh nice. Have you, um, with your voice and your talent and the way you approach music, have you or would you go re- uh, record in Muscle Shoals? Because I think that'd be a venture that would be very beneficial for you. I know, I know your father's been there. I don't know if you've been with him, but you right, could, that would be a great now, place for you to take some time to be at. Right. I. I mean, I love, I love Alabama. <laughs> sure. Um, but I've actually never had the pleasure of going down there but i've just heard nothing but great things about muscle shoals and going down there um but actually a weird of weird dream of mine is to um record an album down in mobile alabama um that's a place where i just um it holds a very special place in my heart and there's a beautiful little studio down there called dauphine street sound um and that's always been a place where I'd, I'd just love to see what I could create down there. But no, there I mean, go. that's definitely on my bucket list is to make it down to Muscle Shoals one day. Yeah, I about to say, just hit them all. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Muscle Shoals is just oozing with magic. You know, I I unfortunately hadn't spent too much time thinking about it until I watched the DVD and then go down there and, of course, tour the studios and you just, you feel like you've been to like the musical Disneyland or something. It's just uh, right. incredible. Yeah. I know. I really have no excuse, do I? It's not very far. <laughs> it's not. It's it's literally uh, maybe. Let's see. You said you're in Nashville. From where I'm at, which is close to Spring Hill, it's probably like two hours and thirty minutes. So maybe maybe a solid three from Nash Vegas. Yeah. Yeah, not well, too bad. Well, sounds like I've got a road trip in my near future. <laughs> yeah, well, unfortunately, though, right now you have to go online and, like, 
book an appointment because you know uh, you yeah. only have ten people at a time and math right. and so on and so forth. But, um, right. but with uh, with this album and this new single, uh, are, is there any touring or any online streaming concerts, or, or what are you doing in support of, or are you just playing the waiting game? So do you know what it is? Just a bit, bit of a you know cloud of fog right now. Um, I'm sort of waiting it out to see um, if things are if the if venues are going to be opening up. Um, but mostly right now, it's looking at online streaming, um, live shows. I've been doing a bit of just recording in my backyard of me and yeah. my band. Um, a couple of videos that I'm just going to use as content for people. And yeah, that's honestly about as far as I've gone. You know, this this whole pandemic has really, really kind of, you know, put a damper on touring. So yeah. hopefully that'll be back up in the new year. Yeah, it's insane. Tonight I'm going to Marathon Music Works to see my first show in seven months. Oh, wow. Who's playing? Uh, they're called Rise Above. It's um one it's uh one of the guys from Rascal Flats, uh, the former drummer of Journey, and uh, the guy that used to sing for Chicago. So I'm thinking it's a night of like hair oh, metal. Yeah, they're they're donating all the proceeds to COVID. Oh, nice. And like um, if you've been in a marathon, you know you're used to kind of like standing, but they, this is all seated, so this is going to be different, I think. Oh, interesting! Wow. Because I'm, yeah, I'm a, I'm a dancer. I'm a, you know, I'm one of the guys who doesn't <laughs> dance very well, but wants to dance and like, you know, do all that. And it's going to be hard as a seated position. So. Oh, wow. I just recently went to um, the cabins out in um, like near McMinnville, Tennessee. Have you heard of those? Yes. Um, I, like the I, yeah. above ground caves. Um, I went and saw Jason Isbell um, and they have you in these pods basically where it's like, I think like, Four people, either you pay for either like two people to a pod or four people to a pod or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I went with my cousin and it was so convenient. I was like, people should do shows like this the whole time. Everything was so organized. You just <laughs> pay for all your drinks and snacks like via an app and then they just come and drop it off to you. Like there was no traffic leaving. Like I honestly, I was all for it. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, I've I've seen a couple of, you know, on YouTube and everything. And then, you know, Marty Stewart, I watched him perform out there. Well, I didn't watch him. I watched him on TV. But it does look like a great place to see and perform at, for sure. Oh, it looks beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it's it's gorgeous, Benny. Yeah, Jason Isbell, that's a lot of talent for one human, wouldn't you think? Right. <laughs> a, a Muscle Shoals yeah, guy. Leave some for the rest of us. Yeah, he's, he's a Muscle Shoals man. Yeah, yeah. I've heard, yeah. All right, well, Lily, hey, thank you for your time. You've got a fan in me, and uh, the world opens back up, and you're ever uh, doing a little uh, show there at Kimbrough's, I will try my best to show up. And that wraps up this episode of the Josh Belger Uncharted podcast. Special thanks to my amazing guests, Dr. Kevin Dyson, Butch Vig, and Lily Winwood. If you yourself know anybody you think would be an awesome guest for the show, have them hit me up at joshbelcher at hotmail.com. Have a safe and happy week. Remember, I love you for you and where you're at in life. And as always, we'll catch you next time. All right, goodbye, everybody. Mm